stand with me if you would, please? I want you to place your hands on yourself. Say, Father, Father help, me today help me today to receive, to receive everything, everything that you sent. That you sent. I, don't I don't want to miss anything. Put your hands on your ears and say this with me. Open my ears. Put them on your eyes. Open my eyes. Put them on your heart. Say, tenderize. Soften my heart. So that today, nothing is missed. I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do. Amen. 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 All right. You may be seated this morning. Are you ready? You know, uh, often there are times, let me just say this first of all, I want to review the, the first three parts of this series that we're getting into or we're concluding today called the scepter of justice. And, you know, one of the things that has occurred in this series is people have shared with me how they've become aware of places where justice, they were waiting on justice and it had not yet come, but they didn't realize they were waiting on it. In fact, I'll speak to some of that in just a moment, not to specific instances in your life that you shared, but to the general idea of not even realizing justice had not yet been served in an area in your life and you had come to settle. But I want to review the first three weeks. The first part of this series was judgment or justice, which is, uh, I made clear that judgment is God's business, but justice should be our expectation. When God is doing his business, justice belongs to us even before judgment. We talked about all that. Justice and judgment are not the same. They don't fall into the same category. One does not happen because of the other. Justice was actually before judgment was. We don't want to get into all that again. I want you to listen to the series. Go to YouTube, watch it there, or subscribe to the podcast, and you can listen to all the services there. The second part of the series was seeking justice. It was about expecting justice without trying to judge. In other words, I, I, what we don't want to do is expect or feel like, again, reiterating part one, we don't want to feel like justice isn't served until that person is judged. Because if that's the or that thing is judged, because if that's the case, we're making judgment and justice the same thing, and it's not. So seeking justice is about expecting justice without expecting judgment. It's coming to that place where I understand the difference. And then declaring justice, we talked about last week, is aligning our words with our expectation. I want to align my words with my expectation, which my expectation is that justice in every area of my life will be served because God is a God of, because God is a God of, because God is a God of, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that he's a God of your justice? Do you believe that he's a God seeking justice on your behalf? Then he is a God of your justice. Your justice. Everybody say, he is a God, is a God of my justice. He's not just a God. He is the only God, and he is the only God that can deliver justice. He is my God of justice. Amen? Say that with me. He is my God of justice. Yes. See, if I can just lay my head or wrap my mind around that and I can accept that, then it eliminates a lot of my struggle. And we're going to talk about some of these things today. So I'm going to read again the first 
the verses that I have read each week, and I'm going to read both of them again because they matter and they make the point well as we conclude today with justice served. You know, let me say this. How many of you in different areas in your life uh, have come to the place where you knew, man, you defined in your mind what you thought justice looked like, and that just never came, never arrived. So you just continued to wait for that particular justice to show up. How many have ever been there? Well, I want to read this to you. I want to say something to you kind of in a different place in my notes, but it says justice is less about what you will get and more about who you will become. Justice is not often about what he's going to release on somebody else or something else. Justice, the true justice that comes to us, is what it does in us. Sometimes circumstances don't change. We do. Sometimes that's justice. Justice being served is us being changed, not the thing we were waiting to be changed, being changed. Amen? So let me read these verses, beginning with Deuteronomy chapter 32, starting with verse 3. It says, For I will proclaim the name of the Lord and ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, His work is perfect. And then say this with me, For all His ways are justice. Say that with me. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. He is a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is He. If you want to follow along today, the best way to do that is open up your Holy Bible app. It will show up on the screen in a second. And then click on the events and it will take you to everything, the scriptures that we're using and, and what have you. Let me read it one more time. Deuteronomy 32. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. And I will ascribe greatness to our God. I think the way they begin this statement means everything. I'm going to begin by acknowledging the Father. I know and I realize there's this thing going on in my life. There's that thing going on in my life. But what good does it do for me to focus on this thing and that thing? Let me begin by acknowledging the Father. Let me begin by acknowledging I'm a son of God. Can we acknowledge that this morning? Can you acknowledge today that you are a son or a daughter of God? If you can acknowledge that you are a son or a daughter of God, that changes the whole game. Changes everything. You can look at this thing and you can say, well, you know what? Um, I don't know because I've, I've believed I'm a son or a daughter of God for a long time, but there's still, things, still places where justice hasn't been served. Again, I want to focus on this. Is justice about something else getting changed or is it about us becoming something? How do we define that? Let's find out. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I'm going to begin by saying, Father, you are great. You are God. And I recognize that you are God. And there isn't another option. For all the things that I'm looking for, you alone hold the full answer. Not the pieces, but you alone possess the whole answer. So I ascribe greatness to you. You are the rock and you are perfect and all your ways are justice. You are a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright. Then in Amos chapter 5, two different verses, verses 15 and verse 24, I want to read. Verse 15 says, hate evil and love good. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. How do I establish justice in the gate? By hating evil and loving good. Justice does not come 
to haters. Justice does not come to people walking around with a chip on their shoulder. Justice does not come to those who want vengeance. Justice does not come to those who are looking for recompense on someone else. If I, because that's judgment. And he wants to make sure that that's clear, that we have a different understanding, that our understanding of justice and judgment is right. He said, hate evil, love good, and then that will establish justice in your gate. Everybody say, I'm a gate. If I want justice, I'm going to hate evil, I'm going to love good. Well, I don't want, you don't understand, I see more evil in this situation than I see good. The father didn't ask that. He didn't say, I wonder how much evil ways and how much good ways in these circumstances. He said, I want you to hate evil, not hate it like, "Mm, yeah, that person did this and I hate them for it. That person is wicked and I hate them for it. He's not talking about hating the thing. He's talking about hating those things that are contrary to what he wants for you. Hate evil, love good. Father, I'm going to love that you are a good and faithful God. I'm going to love that I can trust you. I'm going to love that I can depend on you. I'm going to love that when I walk with you and I position myself before you, justice will be established in this gate. Amen? And it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Joseph. Then verse 24 says, let justice, I love this, I, try to visualize this with me this morning. He said, let justice roll down like waters. Just imagine yourself this morning becoming saturated with the justice of the river of God flowing in your life. Touching every part of your life where justice needs to be served. Touching every part. Not because you said, oh, Mm, turn the river a little to the left, Father, because there's something over there that needs to be taken care of. Can you shift it over? Put a berm up right there so you can shift. No. No, no, no. Said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. It doesn't stop. When water flows, it's going to saturate everything in its path. It's going to cover. Listen, justice will cover. When, when a river flows, it covers up those things that are good and those things that are bad. It literally saturates everything within its stream, within its flow. And the Father's the same way. He said, I'm going to let justice roll down like waters. I'm going to let justice flow over your life like a river. If you will hate evil and love good, I want to do some amazing things in your life. If you will come to the place where you are uncompromising, I want to do some amazing things in your life. So what does it look like when justice is served, since that's what we're talking about today? Well, let me say this. First of all, let me make this statement. Everybody say it with me. Yahweh Yahweh. is a just God God. and his heart. heart. Say that again. His heart heart. is to deliver justice to you and me me. every time. time. Now let's make it personal, just personal. Let's leave the you out and let's make it about me. Let's be me's today. Say Yahweh is a just God God. and his heart is to deliver justice justice to me me. every time. time. I can say with confidence that when your heart is turned to the Father, He will serve justice on your behalf, wittingly or unwittingly. When you know it and even 
when you don't. Sometimes you and I are aware that we need justice. I shared the story about my wife and I, or less me, more her and her brother, uh, in a situation where justice needed to be served, and there was a, which is really the root of where this series began, because of a situation that they came into, that I was drawn into simply because I'm married to my wife, and when because of that. Uh, there was something that needed to occur, and it, there were a lot of discrepancies along the way. I can't get into any of the details of it, but I can tell you there were a lot of discrepancies. So along the way, I visited with a friend of mine who, who is a lover of the truth in the same way that I am and you are. And when I visited with him, he began to speak of justice, and he began to talk about this scepter of justice, and shared with me just a couple of statements that resonated with every part of who I am. I mean, it was like he had a megahorn in the bowels of who I am yelling in, in this about a scepter of justice that just permeated and it came out of every pore of who I am. And I heard his words and, and began to declare something and begin to seek something. And first we sought it, then we declared it, and now we're ready to see justice served. In fact, we've seen a portion of that justice served already. But it wasn't because we hated. We could have. Or more specifically, my wife and her brother could have hated a situation, could have hated the, a person, could have developed. It would have been natural. It would have been normal for a human being to come to the place in circumstances like this to very much be aggravated with this situation to the point where you could just despise it. And yet their positioning was right. And it was good. And I was in awe watching my wife and watching my brother-in-law as they began to pass through this thing. Certainly, there was emotions that were involved. But at the end of the day, I watched. When the scepter of justice was waved, I watched as my wife and her brother, Jimmy, began to move into this thing by trusting the Father and letting Him begin to turn the pages the way they needed to be turned, begin to open the books the way they needed. He let the waters flow in such a way where things were dealt with and no one's feelings were hurt. Nobody went... No, Everything was... It was so far a place of peace, and it will continue to be that if they continue to move through this thing by letting Him be the waters of justice that will flow. So this is where it began. But sometimes you know that you are due justice, and other times you have no idea. There are things in all of our lives, even sitting in this room right now, there are things that where justice needs to be served, you have no idea. I shared last week about the story of the gentleman that got out of prison. He was released from prison after, I think somebody said he was in for 31 years, falsely accused of something. And the man was released from prison. Now the man knew that justice had not been served, but nobody else knew that. No one else knew that justice had not been served, only he. But in time, and I don't know whether the man is a righteous man, whether he loves God or doesn't love God... But justice has a way of coming around in the right way if you will again go back to Deuteronomy and hate evil and love good. At the end of the day, when we begin to forgive, listen to me. At the end of the day, when we can come to the place if we're looking for judgment or justice to be served in our lives. Justice cannot be served where there is hate in the heart. Where there's unforgiveness in the heart. Justice cannot come to that place. Because the waters do not flow there. The waters of God does not flow there. But where the waters do flow is where there's kindness, where there's goodness, where there's faith, and where there's forgiveness. 
And when we can forgive, and I assure you, I, in fact, I know this to be true because I read the article after last Sunday. But I can tell you that one of the things that that gentleman said that was released from prison after 31 years, he made the comment and he used the word forgiven. And he even, uh, the fact that he used that word I thought was pretty awesome. But he said, I forgave these people years ago. Here's a man serving in prison for, I don't even know, I don't remember now what the claim was or whatever, but it's irrelevant to us, not to him. But he had forgiven them years before justice was served to this man. He knew justice was to come. But how many of us sitting in that same prison would let hatred build up and bitterness build up, unforgiveness build up? And all we would want is we would want to see judgment on the people that wrongly put us in there. Here's a man that experienced something that none of us in this room have experienced, and I hope none of us ever do experience, but here's a man, justice came to him. He knew that justice had not been served, but nobody around him did. But this is the way the Father works. It didn't matter what the people around him knew or didn't know. Justice still came. Justice was still delivered because this man's heart was to forgive. Does he know God? I don't know. Believe it or not, people forgive others that don't even know God. Because they don't know that God's actually in them. Nobody breathing air lacks the presence of God. They might lack a relationship, but they don't lack the presence. Nobody breathing air lacks the nature of God. It just hasn't manifested yet, but it's present in them. So justice, sometimes we're not even aware that we need it. And yet we have no idea yet. Yahweh is aware of every single time that justice needs to be served. I want to share this about my own personal story. When I, some of you know, some of you don't know, but when I was in the Air Force, I was in the Air Force in 1984. I went in in 1984 and I got out in 1984. And um, I was in actually for six months and 10 days. There was a lot that went along with that story, but I was there, and, and I can tell you six months, ten days, and I can almost tell you how many hours that I was in the Air Force. But when people ask or something comes up and someone says, are you a veteran? I never do raise my hand and say that I'm a veteran because I, I never went to war. I never served time in a battlefield or never did any of that other than the battlefield of my life while I was in for six t- months and ten days. And... Things had happened, and I'll make a long story short, when I went into the military, I went in under under what was called at that time, and I don't even know that they have it anymore, but it was a guaranteed enlistment program. It was a GEP, and um, it was guaranteed enlistment program, and what they did was, when if you enlisted, they gave you, they guaranteed that whatever you qualified for on your ASFAB or your test, they guaranteed you that you would get that position. So to make a long story short, I had gone in, and I had enlisted at 19 years old and my job that I wanted I scored on the test I scored high in math which is numbers is is really my thing and I scored high in math and I wanted there was a couple of jobs I wanted to be I wanted to be a computer programmer one or two I wanted to be in the Air Force what's considered combat control which what combat control does is they're the ones they learn how to jump out of planes with a parachute and they drop them on the front lines to set up all the technology, all the equipment, so that they can communicate from the front lines. It's one of the only places in the Air Force where they actually go into the battle zone. And um, so I qualified for both of those. So I signed up under the Guaranteed Enlistment Program to be one of those two. And then the option was given, when I signed up, would you consider air traffic control? I didn't want to do that. 
And, uh, but I accepted. And I said, so one of those three things is what I knew would be assigned to me. I would be in combat control, which would set up all the military equipment on the front lines, or a computer programmer, or I would be in air traffic control. Now, I was excited about that. I, in, I went in, I went through basic training in the Air Force, which then, I, I don't remember, I think it was eight weeks back then, I think it's six weeks now. But um, I went into basic training, I did everything that everyone else did in basic training, I lost all of my hair, it, it literally fell out the first night I was in basic training, it fell out under the authority of a razor, and um, I walked around with 52 other men in my flight, we all took our 10 minute shower together in, a, in a, just a few shower heads, and I shared some of those stories with you, I did everything I was supposed to do, I got out of basic training, I went immediately into tech school, and when I went into tech school, I'm in there and I'm training, and I begin to realize within a couple of days that this tech school, because I was still at Lackland Air Force Base, I didn't have to go anywhere for my tech school in San Antonio, and I was in there, and when I was in tech school, I realized within the first couple days, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with air traffic control, this has nothing to do with computer programming, and this has nothing to do with combat control, what, what they're teaching me, as I'm flipping through the pages of this, these books. So I said to one of the guys that was in the class with me, what is this for? And he told me what the job was that we were being trained for. And I said, well, they got this wrong. So as soon as the class was over, I went to my commanding officer and I said, sir, this is not what I signed up for. I said, I signed up for under the guaranteed enlistment and went through the whole thing. And I don't want to bore you with the details, but I, he said, well, sorry, but it's not going to work out said that we didn't have those positions available, and uh, so this is all that we can give you at this time. Maybe later we'll transfer you to the other class. I said, well, that ain't going to work for me. Excuse me? So that's not going to work for me. So, well, you don't have a choice. You belong to us. And in my mind, I didn't say it to him, but in my mind I said, well, we're going to find out who I belong to. <laughs> so I went all through tech school. I'm 19 years old. I'm a smart aleck. I think... The world owes me. I owe them nothing. And I go all through tech school, which was, I don't remember how many weeks. I got out. I scored high in all, my, my, all the tests and everything. I did well. And yet I didn't want that job because that's not what I signed up for. Because what I was doing was, my thought was, and I went to my commanding officer again at the end, and I said, sir, I can do this as a civilian and make a lot more money. Yeah. If this is what I want to do, I can be a civilian and make a lot more money than what the, what the Air Force is going to pay me. I would have never signed up if this is what I was getting. And he said, there's nothing I can do about it. This is the base you're assigned to, which was Little Rock Air Force Base in Jacksonville, Arkansas. So I knew immediately what I was going to do. I got into my 1974 Cutlass Supreme with 60s on the back and 70s on the front, jacked up in the rear with air shocks, and I got into that thing. I loaded my duffel bag into that. Everything that I owned belonged in my little green duffel bag that I still have with Parker and my 7489 stamped on it in my closet at my house. And I got into the 74 Cutlass Supreme. I got in, and instead of driving from San Antonio to Little Rock Air Force Base, I went... Well, I actually did. I went to Little Rock Air Force Base. I checked in. When I checked into Little Rock Air Force Base, I got right back out. I got in my car, and I drove all the way back to Houston, Texas. I get back to Houston, Texas. I was AWOL for 21 days. After four days, I'm, I'm making a long story short, I turned myself in. After four days, they assured me that I was not AWOL. They had somehow miraculously extended my leave. 
I was leaving the place where I turned myself in, the recruiting station, driving to my house. On the way to the house, they called my house to tell my mother, we made a mistake, your son actually is a wall. be sure and tell him to come back in there. And I told my, wife and my mother, and I was not saved at that time, so I told my mother in so many words, it's not going to happen. And, uh, and I left. And I went to a lake because I knew immediately that it wouldn't take long and they would be sending the police and whoever else to come and pick me up. So I went to a lake and I, and I did things that I shouldn't have done and I spent uh, some time there in a tent, living in a tent on Lake Conroe in, outside of Houston. And um, so while I'm there, you know, during the 21 days that I was AWOL, and I'm telling you all of this so that you can understand what they could have thrown at me yeah. if you don't know me. So after 21 days of being AWOL, they caught up with me. I literally walked into my mother's house because I was hungry and I was running out of food and I was running out of money. But during that 21 days, two different times during that 21 days, I drove back onto the base, got a paycheck, and drove right back off. It's a true story. True story. I literally drove on the base with my cousin both times. Who's, he's no longer living, but I drove on the base with my cousin both times. They paid me my paycheck, and I drove right off the base. They never caught me. The second time that I got the paycheck, though, it took them a while to get me the check because you're standing at the counter. I forgot what they call it now, but I was in there at finance department, whatever it is, and they're bringing out the check. It took them a while, and my cousin said, you're busted. They got you. I said, you know, I was believing it because it took them a while. They came out and acted normal, and they gave me my check. I got in my car, and I drive home. It's three hours from San Antonio to where my mother lives. I drive in, I, get, I walk into the house, and as soon as I walk into the house, the phone rings. Like a 19-year-old that didn't know what he was doing, I pick up the phone. Hello! Is Steve Parker there? Yeah, this is he. <laughs> this is Captain James Lyles, and you are AWOL, and we know where you are, and you just picked up a check at, at uh, Randolph Air Force Base, and we're aware. And we know where you are, and you need to turn yourself in. And I said... Again, I was not saved. I let him know why in all the ways I would not do that and hung up. I hung up the phone on him. And then I called a representative, state representative in Texas that represented our district. And I called them and I told them the whole story. Her name was Roxy. That's all I remember about her. But her name was Roxy. <laughs> and I called her and I told her, and I'm telling you this story for a reason this morning. Just walk with me. If I'm boring you, I apologize. But I told her the story, and I said, this is the situation. I signed up under guaranteed enlistment. They guaranteed me that, and I have all the documents. They did not give me that. I tried to make it right. They didn't accept it. I went AWOL for four days. I turned myself in. They let me go, and then they wanted me to come back. I didn't do it. This is where I've been. She said, Steve, the only way that you are going to get out with an honorable discharge is if I represent you as a representative of the state of Texas. Because the only thing that can change the mind of the military is a member of Congress. So this is what we're going to do. And she began to walk me through. She said, I want you to call that captain back right now and I want you to tell him that you are working with me. He will understand the process. You tell him you're working with me and you drive right back to that base and you turn yourself in. Of course, immediately in my mind, I'm thinking, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I called the captain back. And told him I'll be there tonight. This was, I don't know what time in the day. I got there late at night. As soon as I got on, I drove on base. They, took the, they told me where to park the car. I parked the car. They did not take my keys, which was miraculous. I won't tell all that. But, but um, 
they arrested me. They took me to the barracks. The, it was just a barracks where they had guards at the front and the back that really didn't work out well. But they um, <laughs> took me there and put me on the third floor in this lockdown facility. And I was in this place. It wasn't a jail, but it was a lockdown facility. Still had my keys and everything. And long story short, long story short, um, I stood before, when I went before the JAG, and I'm standing before JAG, and I'm standing at attention, and there's, I don't know, a dozen people, I can't remember now, there's plenty, very intimidating, and I'm standing before them, they say, this is what you did, this is what you're being charged for, this can go several ways, and we're go- do you have an attorney? I said, no, they said, we'll give you one, this is who you're going to meet with, I met with the attorney, the attorney was a Christian, was a believer, asked me if they could pray with me, I said, I don't pray, but if you do, go ahead, and they did, and I went in every time, told the whole story, and long, again, long story short, I've said that several times. My son tells me all the time, Dad, you say that a lot, but you never make a long story short. And, um, but I went in and had that attorney, and when it was all said and done, the last time that I stood up before that court, the attorney gave me a choice. He said, if you plead guilty, if you tell them that you are guilty, it's six months in Leavenworth prison, minimum. Six months for 21 days AWOL. So you, if you plead guilty, six months. You're going to prison. And he said, if you plead not guilty, you might get off with a dishonorable discharge and a fine. But if you plead not guilty, and then they find you guilty, then it's prison for a long time. So he said, you need to decide what you want to do. And I said, I am not guilty. And I am not going to plead guilty when I'm not Because I did everything they told me to do. And they did not do anything they told me they would do. And I am not going to plead guilty. And he said, good choice. But he couldn't make the choice for me. But he knew when I made the decision, I had made the right one. And he said, let's go to bat. He went to bat. He called Roxy, the little congress lady. And everything that he had to do, they worked all this stuff out. And then on the final day when I stood before the, the JAG, and I'm standing in front of them, and I'm in attention. The attorney's off to the side. And I'm standing there, and they said, how do you plead? And I said, not guilty. He said, do you understand that whatever our judgment is, this could not go well for you, and this is what it will look like, and everything that the attorney said, and I completely understand, but sir, I am not guilty. I said, I did everything I was supposed to do. I went to places I was, I tried to turn myself in. They let me go. That's not on me. I wanted to be in the Air Force under the conditions that I was guaranteed. That was not given me. Everything that I did, I did believing the Air Force. I did not let the Air Force down. The Air Force let me down. So I am not going to plead guilty for something I did not do. They talked among themselves, dismissed me, dismissed the attorney. A few minutes later, Captain Lyles came into the back room where I was seated, and he said, I have good news for you. Well, first of all, well, he said, I have good news for you. He said, you are going to be awarded an honorable discharge for government breach of contract. He said, but because you still committed crime, a crime within the military, You're going to be charged a $480 fine and given an Article 15 that will remain with you forever. And you're going to serve 30 days confinement in labor, 12 hours a day, for 30 consecutive days. I was so mad. I was so angry. You're giving me an honorable discharge, but treating me like a criminal. 
And my attorney just said, Steve, accept it. (laughs) Because he wasn't doing 30 days duty, hard duty. In San Antonio, Texas, in the middle of July. But I turned to Captain Lyles after speaking with my attorney, and I said, I accept. And for the next 30 days, I spent 12 hours a day scrubbing hot armored vehicles, all the things that was unpleasant. But I did that. I never smiled about it, but I did it. And then on that 30th day, at the conclusion of that 30th, beginning of that 31st day, I got up early in the morning and I out-processed. And I went through every station and I out-processed and I I received an honorable discharge after six months and 10 days. I promise you that rarely, rarely happens. But it was a government breach of contract. Now here's the thing. This is the point I'm trying to make. I did not know God at that point in my life. I knew about God, but I did not have a personal relationship with God. I knew that when I went to church with that attorney, to that Nazarene church with that attorney and his wife and his kids, when he invited me to go to that church, I didn't want to go, but I wanted to get off the base. And that was my only way of getting off that base. So he took me to church with his wife and his kids. And I sat in that church and I listened to them sing old songs. I was bored to tears, but I was fascinated with his love for God. I was fascinated that this man loved his God. And that his wife loved him and she loved God. And those two little, that little boy and that little girl sitting right there beside their parents, they loved God. And I sat there like one of his children, just watching them the entire time worship their God. And it moved me. I would say that that moment in time probably was the catalyst. Even though my father did the very, very best he could to help me understand God. I believe that that moment in time sitting in that Nazarene church with that Air Force lawyer and his wife and his children that I've never seen again, that moment in time was the catalyst for me coming to the place where I received God and justice would be served. And as I left the base that day and I drove back home to Houston, Texas, it was another year and a half before I would commit my life to the Father. That's another story I won't tell today. But this is my point. My point is, when the Father, whether we know we need justice or not, because all I could think about was, burn the Air Force down. (laughs) I hope Russia kicks our butt. (laughs) I wasn't thinking that, I'm just kidding. But I despised the Air Force. I despised the authority in it. It wasn't authority. It was not. It didn't didn't come across as authority. It came across as we own you and you have no choice. You are simply property. That's not the same experience everybody has. I get it. It was mine. So I wanted the Air Force. There was nothing good I wanted for the Air Force. But even when we don't know what justice looks like, the Father does. Can I tell you that the father had a plan for Steve Parker that I didn't even know. He had a plan for me that I was completely unaware of when I was 16 years old, three years before I went into the Air Force. And I was lying in my bed having a nightmare, which I don't... Listen, my wife will tell you, when my head hits the pillow, you better say everything you've got to say because 30 (laughs) seconds later, I'm out. 
I go to bed to sleep, not to chat and carry on and have a conversation about the day. When I go to bed, it's bedtime. So I was 16 years old, and I'm in my bed, and I'm having a nightmare. And in this nightmare, again, I've shared this before, but I'm putting all this together to make this point this morning, this simple point. Simple but profound and strong. I'm laying in the bed, have no relationship with God, have an understanding, but no relationship. And in the dream, all I can see is there is this figure off in the distance, in the darkness of night, it, it seems, and I still see it as though it just happened this morning. And this figure is moving toward me with his hands out and he's calling my name, Steve. That's all he says, Steve, Steve. And he's moving towards me in the dream. And he, as he moves closer to me, my name is louder, Steve, 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 Steve. And he gets closer until he gets right in front of me and he's standing right in front of me and he's just looking at me. This figure is standing there looking. I can't describe a face. I can't describe what it looked like other than a white figure just standing in front of me. And I think even the idea, the fact that it was a, a figure clothed in white is because of what understanding I did have of the kingdom at the time. It wasn't so much about what he was wearing. It was about the presence of God. So this figure is standing in front of me and he's calling my name and he gets right up in front of me. I'm in the dream. I'm standing in the middle of as though I am floating in space and this figure is as well and he's staring at me and I am sobbing my eyes out both in the dream. I didn't know I was doing it naturally but in the dream I was. I'm crying my eyes out. I have no idea why. Just sobbing. And I, but I make no response. I say nothing. And then this figure begins to move away from me. And as the figure moves away, it is exactly the reverse of what happened as it approached me. Steve starts loud, but the further away it gets, Steve, 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 until he's gone. The figure is gone. I wake up, and all I know is I'm sobbing, I am crying my head off, and my dad is, he's waking me up. And he said, Steve, what is wrong? And I explained to my father, I said, Dad, I just, had this, I just had this dream, I don't understand it, and this is what, and he said, what was it? And I said, this was the dream, and he said, God's trying to get your attention, son. He's trying to get your attention. And just like in the dream, I could hear what was being said, but didn't acknowledge it. And I just looked at my dad in the same way I looked at that person in that dream, and I just looked at him and just kind of nodded my head, thanks, Dad. And went on about my business. Got up, went to school, whatever I did. And then three years later, I went into the Air Force. Now, see, I can tell you that the Father was preparing me for something. Can I tell you this today? I don't care what your background is. I don't care how righteous you think you are. Listen to me. I don't care how righteous you think you are. I don't care how holy you think you are. There was a statement that was made in the Chosen, in this season of Chosen the other night, that really caught my attention. Not much they're doing that catches my attention, but this one did. The statement was made by one of the people in the movie and they said, God is not waiting on you to be holy. He sent his son to be holy in you. And I can tell you it doesn't matter how righteous you think you are and it doesn't matter how unrighteous you think you are. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've lived your life and it doesn't matter how good you think you've lived your life. 
But the moment the Father pneumed his breath into you, when he breathed his pneuma life into you, I'm telling you at the moment he breathed that life, purpose was formed in you. Purpose was formed and it is being incubated. It might still be buried in the soil and the sprout hasn't come forth, but there is something in you that is deeper than who you are. And the Father is calling out. And when the Father plants his seed into men and into a man or into a woman, when he plants his seed, he does not leave it unattended. He does not leave that seed unwatered. He does not leave that seed without an opportunity to produce everything that it was planted there to produce. Sometimes justice comes as the water on the seed. Sometimes justice comes as a, as a God removing a weed away from the sprout that is trying to bring forth life. We don't always know. But when the Father's preparing us for something, He prepares us well. And justice isn't always what we're looking for. When justice is served, it might not be the outcome that you thought it would be. Justice might not be that you get an honorable discharge and don't have to serve 30 days consecutive duty and don't have to get an Article 15. Justice might be that's part of it. Justice might be you're going to walk it out, but at the end of the day, look where you are now. At the end of the day, look what he has brought you to. Do you hear me in this house this morning? You might say, well, he hasn't brought me anywhere yet. Are you giving him a place to bring you somewhere? Are you giving him something to work with this morning? The father wants to serve justice on your behalf and the justice may not be. He wants to, he wants justice to roll down over your life like waters. He wants it to roll down in your life like a river that flows. He wants you to come to the place where you hate evil and you love good. He wants you to come to the place where you see righteousness in the things that the Father wants to do. You're not looking for vengeance. He wants you to come to the place where you have hope for something. You're not disappointed because you didn't get what you thought you deserved. He wants to serve justice in your circumstances today. He wants to serve justice in your life today. And my heart, my hope, my passion, my call to you this morning is that you will let him serve the justice that he wants to bring to you not the justice you think you deserve because if you will let him serve justice in your life by simply saying father I'm forgiving I'm going I've allowed you to forgive me I've accepted that you have forgiven me and I'm going to forgive I'm going to hate evil and I'm going to love good and I'm going to stop trying to dip water Out of so many different sources of knowledge. Listen to me. If you're one of those people that you tinker a little bit in this faith. And then you tinker a little bit in that faith. And you do it all because, oh, I just want to know a little bit about all the faiths. Stop lying against the truth. You tinker because you don't have faith. You tinker because you don't know what you believe. But if we will sit still and allow justice, allow the Father to serve in us what He wants to serve, we stop digging into this. The people that are trying to figure out, oh, I just want to know a little bit about the Muslims, and I want to know a little bit about the Baptists, and I want to know a little bit about the Pentecost, a little bit from this church, a little bit from that church, a little bit from there, a little bit from here. The Father doesn't work that way. What the Father does is say, I'm going to plant you somewhere so that you can grow. Stop trying to grow. Put your roots in all these places. You're not a rhizome. You know what a rhizome is? 
A rhizome is a grass that its roots spread out everywhere. And every little twig, the roots go across and it's spread out all over the yard. And it's a weed. It's a weed. A rhizome is that thing that's sucking nutrients out of the grass on this guy's yard, sucking nutrients out of the soil of this guy's yard, and producing something that looks like grass, but it isn't grass. It actually kills what's supposed to be living. And there's a lot of rhizomes in the kingdom of God today. A lot of people trying to draw life out of all these different wells, out of all these different places of knowledge, out of all these different religions and all these different faiths. And the father says, what you're doing is you're producing a weed. But in the middle of that somewhere, there's still a seed. Will you let me water that seed so that you can dig those roots down deep, deep into the ground so that you can grow up to become what you are meant to be. That's justice served. He said, I want to serve justice on your behalf, not the kind of justice you think you need, but justice for you today, AJ. It might not be you getting what you think you deserve from all the people that have wronged you along the way. That might be justice to you, but justice to the Father would be you forgiving all of the people that have wronged you along the way. In His justice will produce something so much more greater than your momentary satisfaction knowing that somehow you got them back. Is anybody hearing me this morning? That's what justice served looked like. When I left the military, I tried to find this lawyer sometime after I got saved. So it was about a year and a half later where I, where I actually came to the Lord. And I tried to find this attorney. I never was able to locate him. And, but I just wanted to thank him. Because he became to me a testimony. Of what it was to get past. The things that hindered me. And there's people sitting under the sound of my voice today in this room. And watching online. There's people sitting in this room this morning. That can't get past. The places where you feel like you've been dealt wrongly. Where you should have gotten the ace of spades. Instead you got the two of diamonds. I want you to know today, the Father's not interested in what cards you were dealt. He's interested in how you deal with what you've been given. And He's interested in whether or not you will trust Him and whether or not you will hate evil and you will love good. And you will put your focus on the fact that He's still God and His justice. He's responsible for judgment. He's responsible for making sure that the right justice is served in our lives. See, what we call justice often, we try to justify ourselves by saying, I'm not asking for judgment. I just want them to pay for what they've done. I don't want them judged. I just want them to suffer like I have. That's hating good and loving evil. But the father said, if you will hate evil and love good. I don't hate the Air Force anymore. I'm thankful for it. In fact, I'm fascinated by what they're able to do. I'm fascinated. I think that new jet they're making is as cool as grits. I don't know if you've seen it. I just saw it yesterday on Popular Mechanics. Everybody reads that. It's fascinating what that thing will do. And what it will carry. And how far it will go. 
When you create a jet that can go around the world and drop precision bombs, I'm not the bomb dropper. But justice served doesn't look like you and me getting what we want if what we want isn't what he wants. Justice served is us saying, Father, these circumstances came to me unexpectedly. And I declare today that your justice will be served just as unexpectedly. And I'm going to be amazed by how you serve it. I'm going to stand back and I'm going to watch you do what man cannot. Sometimes we put into the hand of man what only God can do. And then we're disappointed in the man in whose hands we put it. But the father said, watch me. I don't care where you've been or what you've done today. I want you to know this morning in every single way. Put your hands on yourself. In every way. Say it. The Father wants to serve justice on my behalf. Do you know why? Because you are His son and you are His daughter. And you matter to Him. And no daddy looks at their kids and says, Supper. They look at those little babies, those little boys, those little girls, those grown men, those grown women. My kids will always be my, I don't care how old my kids get, they're always going to be my kids. And I'm always going to come in there and I'm always going to say, wrong turn, right turn. Even when they say, we're grown, we don't need you anymore, we don't need you to do that anymore, I'm going to say, that works for right now. But in 10 minutes, if you do something, I'm going to say, wrong turn. As long as I'm breathing air, I will never watch my children voluntarily make an error because they're my children. And in the same way I look at my kids, I promise you the Father is looking at every single person in this room right now, whether you think you're deserving or undeserving. There is a justice that He wants to serve on your behalf. And that justice is followed by this incredible thing called peace. When his justice is served, we're no longer fretting about how this came to be or why this happened to me. We come into a place where it's peace. His justice has been served. Can I encourage you this morning? Let him do his work. Amen? Stand with me if you would, please. So put your hands on yourself, and I'm going to pray over you today. Father, I lift my voice over the men and the women in this place, in this house, online. I lift my voice over them, and I pray that today, that in every way, my hope, my prayer is that they heard what you put in my heart to speak today. My hope is that they even heard more than what was said, but that you you have sown into every person's heart, into their soul, into their spirit, that you have sown into them day today the truth. That you know exactly where they are. You know exactly what they deserve. And you know exactly how you want to do it. May we today settle on this. That you 
are the God that judges. And you are the God that serves true justice. Because it is in you and it is you. Today we receive to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I bless you today. Amen.